take your Bible this morning and turn with me to Romans chapter 12, which is where we've been for some time now. And um, we want to look again at verse 13, which we started last week. We, will still, we won't conclude verse 13 this week. We'll conclude the first half, and then we'll talk about the last half of verse 13 next Sunday as we'll discuss the aspect of hospitality that's spoken of there in Romans chapter 12. You've got a handout this morning. We've just got out of the routine of doing a handout with not having church for so long in person, but there's a handout here for you to follow along with and to take notes in. And then for the kids, we've got something special for you guys to pick up before you leave today. If you look on the uh, welcome uh, center back here, there's a book that looks like this. It says, My Church Notebook. This is not for adults, okay? This is for kids. But So parents, uh, pick up one for each one of your children, and this will help them um, as uh, we meet together each Sunday. It gives them ways and ideas of how to stay engaged uh, in the sermon and what's going on. And it also will help you as you leave here on Sunday uh, to talk to your children about what they did here. Because, listen, trust me, your kids are listening. They may, be, they may seem like they're on another planet, or they're asleep. Or, or Look, I, had a, I did a game one time at a youth function based uh, off the sermon that I preached. Now, I was just trying to see if kids were paying attention. This is absolutely the truth. I had a kid that his... I assumed he was asleep. His eyes were closed the entirety of the time that I preached. And so we got to the, we, we finished the sermon. And so we, we, we did a game based on the sermon, just questions, you know, from the sermon. And the kid won it. He won it. So it proved to me something that just because your eyes are closed doesn't mean you're not listening. So I don't get offended at that anymore. So if you listen better with your eyes closed, close your eyes, and trust me, that won't affect me uh, whatsoever. But, uh, but pick one of these up because you'll be really, it's really well done. It'll really help your children stay engaged. And the biggest part of it is, as a parent, part of your responsibility is to help your kids process what they hear in quote-unquote big church on Sunday and I've already made an agreement with Elise that if I use a word that your child comes home and says, hey, mommy, what does this mean? And you're like, I'm not answering that. Feel free to call me, put me on the phone, and I'll talk to your child about. I try to be as aware of certain words as I possibly can, but sometimes they just come out. And so anyway, if I do any damage or at least call some questions, I'll be more than happy to uh, take responsibility for that. Well, hopefully all that's given you plenty of time to find your way to Romans chapter 12, verse 13. So let's uh, once again read this text uh, together. Contribute to the needs of the saints. And that's where we're going to stop today. Next week we'll talk about and seek to show hospitality. So last Sunday's sermon, we examined Paul's call to generosity. You know, I told you that it's interesting that as Paul is writing to, to, uh, uh, to the church at Rome, and he has spent 11 chapters laying out for them 
what Christ has done, what it, what it, what it means to experience salvation. And now he gets to chapter 12, and in chapter 12, he says in verse 1, because you've experienced the mercies of God, the only reasonable response is to uh, not be conformed to this world, to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and to live your life as a living sacrifice for Christ Jesus. Now, now Paul doesn't leave uh, any kind of uh, room for speculation as to what that might look like, not being conformed to the world or being transformed by the renewing of your mind or what it looks like to be a living sacrifice because uh, he goes on to lay out for us in the remaining uh, uh, chapters of Romans what it looks like to live out Christianity, what it looks like to live a life that has experienced the mercies of God. And two weeks ago... Uh, we looked at the end of uh, verse 12 where it says, be devoted to prayer. And then Paul moves straight out of devotion to prayer into generosity, which is probably the two topics that uh, when preachers preach on, they, they get uh, very little feedback. And if they get any feedback, it's usually negative feedback. Um, it's, it's, uh, uh, they're not popular and not often well-received. And so Paul just kind of puts them here back to back. And so last week we started looking at generosity and, and we looked at Paul's call to generosity, right? That there is this calling for Christians who've experienced the mercies of God to live generous lives. And, and basically the big idea from last week was simply this, that the mercies of God take a person who is bent on getting and turns them into a person who is bent on receiving. That's what the mercies of God do. They take us from being a person who is bent on getting and turns us into a person that is bent on giving. As recipients of this uh, rich mercy, we should generously, uh, we should be generous, especially to those of the household of faith. Now, listen to me. We're, we're focusing right now on how, on our generosity towards fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. That is not to say that we're not to be generous to those who are not of the household of faith, but our text, uh, today is focusing in on generosity within the Christian faith, within the Christian community. Uh, listen. Let me, let, me, let me say something right off the bat. I didn't say this last week. I feel like I should have said it because anytime you start talking about generosity, people just automatically, they, they, they turn on the filter that he's anti-rich, that God is anti-rich, that God doesn't like rich people, that God doesn't want people to be rich. And listen, God is not against you being rich. He's just against riches having you. He's not against you having riches. He's just against riches having you. You see, any wealth that you have or whatever level of wealth you possess this morning, God gave that to you. Whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, if you're watching us on Facebook uh, Live and, and, and you're like, well, I'm not a Christian, and, and so my, my wealth came from all of my hard work. Listen, the Bible makes it clear in Deuteronomy 8.18, right? I mean, it's crystal clear. 
You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the power to get wealth. Right? So God is the one that is giving us the wealth. And last week, I just asked us, how often or do we ever evaluate in our life our, our wealth? Why has God given me the amount of wealth that He has given me? And again, without going through all of the, the statistics and, and, and everything that exists to prove this, if you're, an, if you're an American and you live here in these United States, which as far as I know, looking out at everyone, we all live here locally, we're all Americans, uh, that means simply this, that even if you're living at the poverty level, you still live as one of the top 15% wage earners in the world. And really, if we dug down deep enough this morning, because you have a house and you, you drove a car here, all of that would put you in the top 1% of all wealthy people in the world. So we're, we're all wealthy. We're all wealthy. But I want you to know something this morning, that my sermon this morning is not intended to make you feel guilty. It's not about what you have but gracious with what you have. Now, we, we preachers have not always done a good job of this. We, we, tend to, we, we tend to major on guilt and minor in grace, right? Any, any of y'all ever been to a uh, preaching beatdown? I have. Now, I've been a part of preaching beatdowns. I've been one of the beatdowners. Sad to say, but that's the truth. This is not about making you guilty about what you have. It's about making you gracious with what you have. If generosity is not rooted in your experience of God's mercies, your generosity will be nothing more than what I would call legalistic philanthropy. Our giving has to be rooted in the grace of God for it to be real and it to be genuine and it to be truly Christian. Sticking with the metaphor of gardening, let us... Move on to our next step of developing a heart of generosity. So Paul's called us to generosity, but now he's saying that generosity must be cultivated. It must be cultivated. He's telling us, be generous to those of the household of faith. Well, just the fact that he has to tell us to be, gener to be a generous person implies something, right? It implies that by nature we're not generous. I mean, like, if you by nature do something, you don't have to be told to do that, right? How many of you were ever taught to sin? Now, Johnny, come here. This is how you sin. We don't teach kids how to sin because that is natural. And so generosity must not be natural because Paul is having to tell us what you need to do. He's not even telling us to be generous to, to non-believers. He's having to, I can see maybe where he's got to tell us, well, be generous to those people who don't even know Jesus. But what he's saying is, hey, you've got to be generous to those who do know Jesus. You've got to be generous to the people you're going to spend all of eternity with. So generosity must be cultivated. And how do we cultivate generosity? Well, by the wider scope of Scripture, I would say that generosity uh, is cultivated by meditation. And you're like, whoo, I like that. You didn't say anything about generosity being cultivated by giving. Like, wouldn't, that, wouldn't you think that would be the first way that you 
Cultivate generosity is that you stroke a check, get your wallet out, put some money in, whoop out the credit card, whatever way you want to give. That, I mean, it sounds like if you're going to be generous, the, the best way to cultivate generosity is to give. And that's where we've gone wrong. Don't get me wrong, you cultivate generosity by giving, but first what you have to cultivate is a heart that wants to be generous. Why? Because Jesus cares about your motivation. He cares about your heart. He wants you to give from your heart. And we do that by meditation. What, how, so how do we meditate? You know, because, I mean, there's a... I mean, is that like some form of yoga? Do we sit with our legs crossed and our thumb and middle finger together and we got some kind of tune that we hum or some kind of incantation that we chant? I mean, is, is that what you mean? Meditation simply means this, that we chew on or, or think about on an ongoing basis a particular thought or idea. So here's what we want to do. We want to first meditate on Christ. Meditate on Christ. Christ gives, uh, He gives because that's His nature. So what we want to do is we want to look at the life of Christ and we, just, we want to look at how Jesus, without any kind of thought, just simply is a person who gives. And He does that because He doesn't know any other way to be because that's His nature, that's who He is. I, I use this analogy Wednesday night, as we were diving into this a little deeper on Wednesday night, is I use Ron as an example. And if you don't know, Ron's occupation is a firefighter. And so uh, Ron's always going to training. You know, he's always telling me about, yeah, I, got, I went to this training and went to water rescue training and went to this training and that training. And so they, the, the fire department, these guys, they're, you know, they, they don't fight fires every day, right? Y'all don't, do you? Okay. So they don't fight fires every day. Uh, and they don't fight even, you know, big, gigantic fires every day. So here's the question. If they don't do that every day, then how do they stay ready to do what they're supposed to do? Well, they train, right? They train. And so it's repetition. They do something over and over and over and over again. I know when, when Marcus was, uh, was in the military and, and, and they were, uh, you know, get, getting ready to, you know, to, to go out and to, you know, uh, take a place or, or have combat with the enemy. There was all kinds of, of days and weeks and years of training that would go into it. Um, I even watched the, the, the movie where they, uh, uh, about, you know, when they killed Osama bin Laden and how they, you know, they, they built this replica of where he lived and how they just went day after day after day through the whole process of how they were going to carry out this mission. And, and then what happens is, is that when you, when you actually get into whatever it is that you're doing, you know, okay, the day of the mission comes, so you roll out to go to the mission, or the call comes in at the firehouse, and you load up in the fire truck. I mean, you don't get out on the battlefield and, and pull out the, the war manual to figure out, well, hey, what do we do right here, right? I mean, they don't call Marcus, hey, Marcus, this is what's going on. I mean, I mean can you... Mark says, well, in section 5.4, subsection 3, it says you should do this. Ron and them are not doing that out when they're out fighting a fire. Why? Because this training is so ingrained in them that, what do we say? It's what? Second nature. That's what meditation does. When we meditate on Christ and we see how by nature He is a giver, then 
we start meditating on that, we start thinking about that, then guess what starts to happen? That starts infusing itself into our DNA, and it doesn't necessarily become our nature, but it, what, what happens is it becomes second nature to us as a Christian. Why? Because if it becomes, if it becomes our nature, then we just, we'll just do it all the time. But what you'll realize is, is that no matter how much you meditate on Christ, you're always, you're always going to have that opportunity not to be generous. So we meditate on Christ. We, we, we read in the Scripture. We study His life. We listen to His teachings uh, on, on, on money and on generosity. And, and we see Him live that out. Listen, Jesus talks more about how you steward your money than He does about heaven and hell. Combined. Anybody want to think that's... How many of y'all think heaven and hell is pretty significant? That's like big doctrine, right? It's like the, maybe the most important doctrine. But yet Jesus talks more about finances and stewardship than he does about heaven and hell. Listen to what Jesus said. He says, No one takes it from me, talking about his life, but I lay it down of my own accord. Jesus did not give his life because God twisted his arm. And I have the authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. In Paul's second letter to the Corinthian church, he lays out his lengthiest teaching in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 uh, on giving. His appeal for generosity is based on their knowledge of Christ's generosity towards them. Look at this verse in 2 Corinthians 8. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. There we go, we're back to what? Rooted in grace and mercy. That though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. So we first, we got to meditate on the cross. Sec, I mean, on Christ. Second, we need to meditate on the cross. Does there exist a higher and loftier presentation of generosity than Christ on the cross? Is there a greater gift that can be given than one laying down his life for someone else? No. That is, that, that is the highest and loftiest picture of generosity. It was there, sin's unfathomable debt was settled. What is he doing? He, with his life, he is paying a debt of sin. Christ gave because we had a need. Christian generosity is not about meeting others' wants. I need y'all to listen to this. Christian give generosity is not about meeting other people's wants. It's Christian giving their wants to meet others' needs. Did you get that? Christian generosity is not about me giving to fulfill somebody else's wants. It is me giving up my wants so that I can meet another's needs. Because Jesus is not telling you, well, give all your money away so you don't have bread to eat. He's not saying that. I mean, he, he could. I mean, he did say that to one guy before, you know, sell everything you got and give it to the poor, come and follow me. But that's not generally what Jesus is calling us to. Jesus is calling us to take not what we need to meet our needs. He's calling us to take what is above our, our needs, 
which is begins to take care of our wants and to take some of those wants and not want it so that we can give to those who have genuine needs. Lastly, what we need to meditate on is our Christian responsibility. So we meditate on Christ, we meditate on the cross, and now we want to meditate on our Christian responsibility. Our text provides us with an object and an occasion for our generosity. What's the object of our generosity? The saints, other believers. What is the occasion of our generosity? Their needs, not their wants. Paul is not teaching the redistribution of wealth. That's code for socialism. To level the economic playing field. Now listen, here's what he's teaching. He is teaching wealth wealth distribution to glorify His name and to answer His Son's prayer. He is talking. He is teaching wealth distribution to glorify His name and to answer His Son's prayer. You said, when did Jesus pray about money? Well, here it is. It's in John. John 17. That they all may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. I tell you what, I think it would be a great testimony to the world if Christians started helping to meet the needs of other Christians. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one, even as we are one. In them, and uh, in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. The Father strategically mixes within His family those who, those who have little and those who have much. I always thought it was sad when... It was always thought that only the rich people went to First Baptist. Did y'all grow up kind of thinking that? That, well, that's the first, we can't go to First Baptist because that's where all the people who have all the money go. And it, was that true? Well, of course it was. <laughs> I mean, it's not like it's a lie. That was the truth. Why? Because that's where you, that's where especially business people went to make connections, to grow their business. And it's still true in some places. Still true in a lot of places. But listen, the Lord never meant for there to be rich churches and poor churches. He never meant for all the people with resources to flock to one congregation and all the people who had lesser resources to go to another one and then those who have virtually nothing to all go to church together. The church is intended to be made up of people of all socioeconomic backgrounds, rich and poor. Why? Not to create an environment of codependency, but to create, a, uh, but to create an environment of connectivity. I didn't think that would get amens. 
We need each other. Do you know what giving does for rich people? It helps them with their pride. And do you know what receiving does for people who have lesser means and at times need help? It helps them with their pride. Because some people are too prideful to give and other people are too prideful to ask. And so God wants to put rich and poor, if that's what you want to call them, He wants to put us together from all different kind of so, so, uh, so, all kinds of economic levels. Why? So that we can all work on our sin problem together. Hard to do that when you, when you ostracize yourself. Listen to what Paul says back in 2 Corinthians 9. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your need for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way, to be generous in every way. Watch, watch. Which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon them. Thanks be to God for His inexpressible gift. So meditate on your confession of faith. Meditate on your confession of faith. This is real easy. It's easy to explain this. What do I mean by your confession of faith? Well, what do, what do true Christians, according to the Bible, confess one three-word statement? Jesus is Lord, Master. Our confession of faith is Jesus is Lord. He is our Master. We are His slave. If I didn't give you anything else, that should be sufficient enough to make us generous. Why? Because... He's Lord, and we're not. How about, how about some Scripture to uh, substantiate that? The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, and the world and those who dwell within. I think that's pretty conclusive. But in case you're not convinced, I'll give you one more. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills, and, and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and its fullness are mine. Uh, anybody catching on to what God's saying? It's all mine. I own it. I'm the master. I'm the Lord. You're the slave. It's mine. What I'm doing is I'm putting you in charge. I, I thought about this this week. Uh, how, to, how to kind of maybe somewhat reconcile this in my mind, because I'm always trying to, trying to bring everyday common occurrences in the world as little reminders when I see them of what I need to be doing spiritually. So FedEx and UPS are helping me right now. This is how they're helping me. If I order a package and it never arrives and I call FedEx or UPS and say, hey, where's my package? And they call up the 
truck driver who had my package, he said, oh, I just took it on to the house with me. I liked it so much, I just thought I'd keep it. That ain't the way it works, right? Like, you only have one job. You don't have a job of figuring out whether you want to keep that or not. Your job is to figure out how to get me my package. Listen, when you get your paycheck, you're UPS and FedEx. Your job ain't to figure out how, how you're going to keep it. Your, your job and responsibility is find, a, find out how to get it to where God wants it. Will that stick with y'all? Every time you see UPS and FedEx, you, you think you can remember, hmm, wonder how many packages of God I got hanging out at the house that I hadn't delivered. I need stuff like that. Maybe y'all just better delivery people than I am. Scripture says no one can serve two masters, for he, he will either hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot be a slave to God and money. If he is the Lord of our life, then Matthew 25, 14 through 30 makes it clear that we are given a particular stewardship and there will be a revelation and reckoning one day of that stewardship. Do y'all remember the story? God says, I give you ten, I give you five, you get one. Doubled, doubled, hid. Delivered, delivered, kept it at the house. Y'all need to go read that and see how that ends up. It's not a, it's, the first two, super, very positive. The last one, the Lord was not kind. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For He has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's Hebrews 13.5. I love that verse. Nobody ever quotes it in its entirety, do they? How many of y'all have heard, He'll never leave you nor forsake you? They're quoting this verse. Oh, I forgot there was something about money in that verse. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. How about Jesus? Let's go to Him real quick. But if we have food and clothing, with all these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation. It's not Jesus, actually. This is Paul talking to Timothy. Into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through the cravings that some have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. Only when we alter, A-L-T-A-R, our hearts, will we alter, A-L-T-E-R, our lifestyle. So a major part of fighting greed is to find contentment in Christ, not in stuff. Last, generosity must be circulated. All right? So it's got to be cultivated. Okay? You've got, you got a head start on how to cultivate. That is, that is the plan for cultivation. Now, how do we circulate it? Shortest part, easiest, not easiest part, uh, but probably most practical part of the whole sermon. Generosity, listen, is not an action to be chosen, but an amount. It's not an action to be chosen, even though it is an action, but it's an amount to be chosen. 
listen, if you're going to be generous, you've got to take some steps. Number one is you've got to determine how much you're going to give. If you're going to, if you're going to start circulating generosity, if you're, going, if you're going to hear the call and you're going to cultivate the heart, then what starts coming out of that is generosity, and you need to determine how much you're going to give. A follower of Christ does not ask, will I give, but how much? So you're like, okay, Brother Jason, where do we start? I don't, I don't know. I will, I will encourage you in this way. I think you at least start at 10%. And you say, ah, that's Old Testament. Well, if you live under grace... And the law could tell you, to, and, and people who lived under the law could give 10%, then at least people of grace can start at 10%. Our experience of God's merciful gift of salvation makes giving a natural extension of who they are. Our experience of God's merciful gift of salvation makes giving a natural extension of who we are. Alright? So, you need to determine how much you're going to give. Then make a promise. Make a promise. Now watch these verses. I think they're going to... Yeah, they're on the screen. 2 Corinthians 9. Here, here's where I get this thing about make a promise. Now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the, uh, about the ministry of the saints. For I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. I love the way Paul does this. He just like now. See, if you don't know the story, they had promised to give an offering back in 1 Corinthians. Now Paul's coming back saying, I'm coming to get it. I'm coming to get the money. All right, it's been some time. Y'all made a promise. And listen, your promise was so big that I've been telling everybody about what you did. And guess what? You're being fired up to give, has fired up other people to give, and they have been giving. That's what he's saying. But I am sending the brothers so that you're boasting about you... <laughs> But you, you get what Paul's doing? He's like, hey, I'm going to send a couple of brothers ahead before me and the rest of the crew that I've been bragging to you about show up. They're going to come and get you prepped and just make sure you're doing what you're saying because I don't want to show up and you not be ready to give. Must have been a Baptist church. Must have been a Baptist church. So he says, uh, so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready, as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we will be humiliated. To say nothing of you, <laughs> that's, that's a little uh, apostle smack talk there, for being so confident, so I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you promised so that you may be watch as a so that you may be ready as a willing gift not 
Y'all see the word, right? So, they had made a promise to give. Here's what I'm going to encourage you to do. It's right there. You don't feel this in right now. This is part of the take home. This is, this is where you start praying. This is where you start asking the Lord for the first time, Lord, how much am I supposed to give? And then you make a, you make a promise. I promise to give blank, relying on the Spirit's help in order to reflect Christ and, and glorify my Father in heaven. So you're going to pray about that. And God's going to give you a number. And you're going to write it down. And that's where you're going to start. Now listen, you don't write that number down and think, this is my number forever. That's your starting point. And then God can dial, he can, he can dial in anytime He wants because you're constantly dialing up, Lord, do you want me to do more? Or not? Because this is, this is where we are right now at this point. Because something may come along and the Lord may want you to, to do more than you're doing. The point of giving is stewardship of wealth. Now, it doesn't, it doesn't work out on the screen like I wanted it to, but you see the parentheses? Take the first letter of each word, and what does that spell? So, what is giving? The Bible says giving is when we sow, S-O-W. What, is, what does that mean? So the point of giving is stewardship, S-O-W, wealth. It's our stewardship of our wealth. That's what it means to sow. When I sow, I'm just stewarding God's wealth. And where did I get this from? I got it right out of this passage in 2 Corinthians. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now the, now the prosperity preachers have taken that and they've hijacked it and jacked it all up. But don't think, pros, I mean, don't think prosperity gospel. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, because God loves a cheerful giver. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for, sow, for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. God doesn't increase my standard of living. To increase my standard of living, He increases my standard of living so I can increase my standard of giving. Which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Giving is an act of gratitude. We sow into our Father's kingdom not because He is in need. We sow because in commanding our giving, our Father is graciously showing us how to say thank you for the grace and the mercy we've already received. When you give, you're not giving because God needs anything. You're giving because God's given you a way to say thank you for all that He's given you. I wish people would just laugh when they get, give. Or people would shout when they gave. Or people would do a holy dance when they give. I mean, really, that's kind of what giving is supposed to do. It's supposed to emote out of us this, that word, God loves a cheerful giver. That word cheerful, it, 
In the original language is where we get our word hilarious. Anybody been to a laughing offering? Anybody been to an offering where people were shouting, praising God? I get to give. A little tongue-in-cheek, but in some ways very serious. Before COVID hit, you know, we used to have the offering box down here because we don't pass the plate. And remember we had, we, we would tell you, hey, this song is when you bring your offering and give it. I prayed, some Sundays I'd pray, Lord, let, let two people try to beat each other down to the, to the offering box. I'd love to see that. You know, just people excited about, I get to give to God. I had a guy one time say, well, I don't, I don't give because I don't, I, don't, I, don't trust, I don't trust my church. Well, then get another church. And I'll say this, I love y'all, but if, if you're like, well, I don't give to, I don't give to Eureka because I don't trust the people at Eureka. Well, then get another church and give. You say, well, I just want to stay here, but uh, I'll give my money to missions. No, that ain't the way it works. You give to your church, and then and I'm a little getting a little ahead. Uh, I'll say that for a second, real quick. Giving is an act of guarding, right? What does the Bible say? Keep your heart from with all vigilance, from from it flows the springs of life. So listen, if you want to guard your heart, then give because look, <laughs> look at what Jesus said: "For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also." Why? Because money does more than locate your heart. It guides your heart. It guides your heart. You say, well, I want to have a heart for missions. Give to missions. I want to have a heart for the lost. Give to evangelism. I want to have the heart for uh, whatever. Give. That's how you guide your heart. You guard it by giving, and you guide it by giving. Determine when you're going to give. It's easy. 1 Corinthians 16.2 says give on the first day of the week. That's why you start with your church. That's where giving starts. Giving starts at home base. Okay, So determine when you're going to give, first day of the week. Determine whom you're going to give. Okay, So who are you going to give your money to? You're going to give it to your church, or are you going to find another church to give it to? Because you're not going to stay here and not give because you don't trust people here. What you're going to do is go find a church you can trust and you're going to give your money there. I love you enough to tell you that. I wish you'd trust us and give here. But if you can't, then you need to go somewhere else and give there. I didn't make the rules. God did. My, my job is to instruct you as a shepherd to how God wants it done. To other Christians, Paul teaches, that's who we give to, to other Christians. Paul teaches that we should contribute to the needs of fellow believers. What about those uh, whose needs are caused by their sin, extravagant spending, laziness, etc.? Right? We deal with that a lot here. People requesting money, and, and they're requesting money because they don't know how to manage their money. So what do we do to, with them? Do we not give to them? We do, but look at this. I, I, that's what I need you to remember. We don't drop people because they have sinned. 
we disciple them. So somebody comes to us, hey, we need, we need, we need help. You know, we can't pay our power bill. We can't put food on the table. We can't do all these things. And then you, you start asking the right questions, and all of a sudden you realize that they got a they got a six hundred dollar car payment sitting out in the driveway, right? And they're they're loose with their money, and they don't they don't manage their money right. Then then what do you do? You say, okay, look, we're going to help you, but we're just we're not going to help you to keep sinning. What we're going to do is we're going to get involved with you, and we're going to help you financially, but. Unless you're willing to deal with the sin in your life when it comes to finances, then we're not going to help. That's called discipleship. That's, you don't enable people to keep sinning. You enable people to stop sinning. That's what discipleship's all about. But now if somebody's managing their money right, and, and you know, they don't, they're not out you know, being sinful with their money, then you just start helping them. You meet whatever need they have. Okay, close right here. I got an acronym. Y'all know I love acronyms. So here's my application right here. It's GIVE, G-I-V-E. It's right there on your sheet. How do, how do I get started right now? Leave, leave this sanctuary and get going with cultivating generosity and circulating generosity. Number one, you got to get along with the Father. That's a, that's a lot of words for prayer. Pray. Pray. God, where do I start? Where's my number? Two, invest in eternal life. I'm not talking about giving for salvation. I'm talking about investing in the eternal life that you already have. Jesus says, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Jesus is not against us getting stuff. He'd just rather have us have stuff in heaven rather than stuff down on earth. Jesus is saying, eliminate short-term gratification for long-term. Live for heaven. And like I told you, I can't explain what it looks like or how it all works out. But all I can tell you is, and I can give you plenty of passages, where your life in heaven is going to be directly affected by what you did with resources here on earth. And there'll be some of us that had a lot on earth that have little in heaven, and some who had little on earth that have a lot in heaven. And you say, well, it'll be heaven. Okay. That's what you want to go with. I'm like, I want to max it out. I want to, I mean, if, if God's retirement program is better than 20%, last time I checked, he said it was a hundredfold. That's, nobody's given that down here on earth. He said, lay it up for, in heaven and see what I do with it. Invest in eternal life. Validate the scriptures. What, what do I mean by that? Validate the scripture. What did Jesus say? Prove me. Prove me. And see if I won't open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing that you cannot contain. E. Enjoy God's goodness. That's the result of giving. Enjoy God's goodness. And you'll be like, 
how did we ever enjoy 100%? Because here we are, we only got 70% of what we get, and we're giving 30% of it away, and life has never been better. I'm not talking life in the sense that you look out and you're looking at all your stuff you got. Life's never been better because you look out and half the stuff you used to have is not even there anymore. And you're like, boy, we, we are way more happier than we've ever been. So can you remember the gift? Get along with God, pray, invest in eternal life, right? Validate the Scripture, and then enjoy the Father's goodness. David, once you come, I want you to pray with me for a second, church. Because I really want us to get our hearts dialed in. This is important. Not because we're on some kind of fundraising drive here at the church. Not because, hey, look, of course we always need you to give, but we're kind of in that place where it's like, okay, if you give, you give. If you don't, you don't. God, we have, we have been faithful for over 10 years with the little bit of money that God's given us. And then all of a sudden, in the last 14 months, God has done a miracle in our bank account. A new responsibility. We've got to figure out what, we can, what we're going to do with all this that He's given us. Because we've never had to really figure that out, even as a church. But right now, with your, just there, just in a moment of intense concentration, just ask yourself this question, where is my heart right now? And if you don't know exactly where your heart is, think about where your money's been going. Think about how you've been spending your money. And that's where your heart is. It's not where it might be, it's, it's where it is. And then to ask the Lord this question. I actually make this confession. Lord, I repent for my greed. I repent for not taking your goods and getting them where you want them. And once you've asked for forgiveness, then pray that next prayer. Lord, help me. Lord, help me to leave here today to get along with you and seek your face. Help me to have an investment mentality for eternal life. Help me to validate what the Scripture says is true. You said try, try you and see what you'll do. And then, Father, help us to believe that in, that in all of that, there is great joy, unspeakable and full of glory. In Christ's name, amen. Let's stand, let's sing this final song together this morning.